Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 128. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. Welcome to the MCAT Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and as always, I am joined by the lovely Clara from Next Step Test Prep, one of the top content producers, creators over at Next Step Test Prep. And we're continuing our fun deep dive into Next Step Test Prep full length 10. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Clara back with some more Next Step full length 10 bio biochem. I'm excited to continue our, our passage reading and answer questioning today. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm excited too. Good, good. What's, what do we have in store for us today? Uh, we have a pretty good variety, I think. Um, this is a genetics passage, but it has um, a pretty good uh, array of questions, some sort of knowledge-based questions and um, some kind of hardcore classical genetics. So it should be fun. All righty. Go ahead and read it. All right. Passage eight. Cells of Drosophila melanogaster individuals with fragile X syndrome were microscopically observed in Petri dishes. Petri dish A was stained by the lab researchers prior to microscopic observation. Cells in interphase were shown to have heavy staining around the periphery of their nuclei. Additionally, cells in prophase, metaphase, anaphase, and telophase were shown to have chromosomes which were heavily stained on the end of each chromosome. The arms of each chromosome were more lightly stained. Petri dish B was culled to remove all cells except the ones in the mitotic G1 phase. The dish was then seeded with fluorescent oligonucleotide probes, which are specific to the LAC-I gene. In situ, hybridization occurred of this gene and the oligonucleotides. After DNA supercoiling occurred, fluorescence was observed on not one, but two arms of an intracellular linked chromosome pair. Petri dish C contained a cell culture grown from Drosophila cells, which were genetically engineered to be incapable of producing histones or nucleosomes. It was observed that the nuclei of these cells never developed visible chromosomes, despite the fact that, in theory, there should have been no impact on the structural integrity of the nuclear DNA. Okay. All right. Not too bad? Sure. That's what you say. (laughs) You do this for a living. I'm looking at this going, um, Petri dish, I remember what that is. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of big words in this one. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, cell phases are, I, 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 obviously at this point I don't remember them, and I don't know if I was ever very good at them, even when I was in school, just remembering all the different cell phases and all this, that stuff. So hopefully we can get through these questions uh, relatively unscathed. 
We'll see. Um, so question 40, what role do histones and nucleosomes possess relating to nuclear DNA and mitosis? And just reading this question without thinking back with what's in the passage, I, I almost think this is like a, a pseudo-discrete question of, mm-hmm. of um, I, I should just know this without needing the passage. Uh, what gave it away? You're right. Okay. What gave it away? I, it was just, it's just such a straightforward question that it's mm-hmm. like, I, I, it just seemed like, um, like I would need it. And then looking back at the passage, I'm like, I don't remember where they're specifically telling me all of this stuff. So, um, oh. so yeah, so I'm going to have to rely on my, my knowledge for this one and, and go through. So, Answer choice A, they allow visible chromosomes to form prior to mitosis by linking pairs of sister chromatids. B, they cause the genetic variability that chromosomes require for mitotic splitting. C, they allow small coils of euchromatin to supercoil into large coils of heterochromatin. They facilitate mitosis by helping to supercoil nuclear DNA into chromosomes. And so they're asking histones and nucleosomes, what what do they do to nuclear DNA and mitosis? Exactly. What are the, what's the role? So I don't remember their role in this one, so I'll let you explain their role. All right. Uh, so this one's actually D, which is they facilitate mitosis by helping to supercoil nuclear DNA into chromosomes. Uh, and essentially, this is just a fancy way of saying these histones and nucleosomes help to pack DNA into these really tight um, chromatin structures. Uh, like if you've ever seen those images um, in like a science textbook that look like a bunch of beads on a string and like the string is DNA and the uh, beads are histones. It's basically supercoiling that DNA into these denser chromosomes. Um, but we can actually eliminate this one too. There are some that stand out as being pretty wrong. Like, um, B said that they cause genetic variability and that's not true at all. That, that is variability in the DNA, not in the histones. Um, and then C said they allow small coils of euchromatin to supercoil into large coils of heterochromatin, but that's not how it works. It's not like small amounts of euchromatin can combine to form large amounts of heterochromatin. They're two different structures. Euchromatin is more loosely packed chromatin and heterochromatin is more dense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then A A was the last one, I think. Um, And A was talking about them linking pairs of sister chromatids. That's actually confusing that with a centromere, which does that, but histones don't. Mm. Okay. Do you use any sort of mnemonic to remember heterochromatin and euchromatin and densely and lightly packed and all that stuff? Is there some sort of fun mnemonic for that? You know, I not that I know of. I, I always have this kind of personal idea about about mnemonics where if it's just um, if it's just two things to remember, I feel like often students will misremember the mnemonic, <laughs> and then uh, it won't really be that helpful. So I think euchromatin heterochromatin. If you can come up with something that works for you, great. If not, it might just be something that you you need to remember. Um, if you can somehow associate you with loose or light, but <laughs> I haven't found a way to do it. Yeah, the, I, I was thinking hetero, H and heavy, like dense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, outside of that, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Heterochromatin is like dense and, and darker colored under a microscope. And somehow I always just picture that, but I. <laughs> okay. Everyone has their own tricks. Yeah. 
Okay. Go ahead and read 41. Right, 41. Roman numeral question. Um, why was staining in Petri dish A only visible during mitotic stages other than interphase? Roman numeral one, chromatin's association with genetic material means that the DNA double helix must coalesce to a sufficiently high density before chromatin can be microscopically visible. Roman numeral two, interphase is a stage in which the proteins around which DNA is wrapped are too loosely packed to be seen with optical microscopes. And then three, chemical reactions that occur during interphase cause translucency of the chromatin structure. And then all the answer choices are just combinations of those. We have A, one only, B, one and two only, C, two and three only, and then D, of course, one, two, and three. Oh, so this this one just trying to think through what is the question asking me? It's almost making me that think of the question as what is different about interphase than everything else? Totally. And so I, I don't know if that's the right way to, to think about that, but that's what stands out to me is, is here's how to think about this question. Yeah, that's, that's a great summary. That's a, a great way to sum up what they're asking. Definitely interface stands out for some reason. Okay. So what is different about it? And so if we were to look at the Roman numerals, chromatin's association with genetic material means that the DNA double helix must coalesce to a sufficiently high density before chromatin can be microscopically visible. And so the question is, um, in interphase, is this not happening almost? It's like, it's saying this thing, but it's not visible in interphase. And so is whatever they're saying not visible during interphase? And yeah. I don't and so I'm like trying to go through this in my head and I'm like confusing myself thinking about it because it's like this double <laughs> negative kind of discussion. But um, yeah. so I, I'm going to just sit on that one for a second. Interphase is a stage in which the proteins around which DNA is wrapped are too loosely packed to be seen with optical microscopes. So now this one is very straightforward. Okay, this is saying interphase is different because of this. Is it true I don't know. Um, obviously, I'd have to rely on my knowledge of interphase and, and what that looks like and everything else. Um, and then, so so two two is intriguing because it's super straightforward. I'm like, oh yeah, that must be that must be right. Even if my knowledge isn't right, I'm like it must be right because it's too simple. Uh, and then chemical reactions that occur during interphase cause translucency of the chromatin structure. And so that one's another one. It's like, oh, that's intriguing too. And so two and three to me are like, oh, and, and there happens to be an answer choice, two and three. And it's C, which is always my default. I have no idea what I'm doing, so I'm going to pick C. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so what what is your breakdown here? So I'm going to choose C just because those are the easy ones to answer. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a good guess. Um, it's actually going to be B. So one, the one that was kind of hard to break apart, one actually is one of the correct answers. And yeah, the funny thing about questions like this is that sometimes they think it's tempting to, uh, you know, try to do everything at once, like try to figure out, oh, is this statement true? And then also, does it accurately answer the question? And then for questions like this, where there are these sort of negative statements um, and these contrasts, it can be really confusing. But one thing that I think you started to do toward the end is just think about, okay, is this true? 
Right. And like, so if you have the knowledge, then you can say, okay, at least I know these ones are true. This one's false. And then I can um, just get rid of that even without having to wrap your head around the question uh, every time you look at a choice. And actually, that, that's the best way to do this one because um, Roman numeral three looks good as, um, as in it addresses the question, but translucency of the chromatin tru- structure is just not something that ever happens. Um, It'd be cool have- because then we would like be invisible at some point in our life because every every cell going through interphase is translucent. Like, where'd Ryan go? I don't know. <laughs> he must be going through interphase. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of ridiculous. Um, so so yeah, that one unfortunately for us is not true. So <laughs> yeah, and then then it becomes really easy, right? Because the three is out. Um, there is no two only answer. It has to be one and two. Um, it could be one only, I suppose, but two did look like a good answer, and and you were totally right. Um, two essentially just looks like a definition of interphase, and it's totally true. Interphase is a stage where um, DNA is wrapped around proteins too loosely to be seen with microscopes, and that totally explains why the staining was not visible during interphase. Okay. <laughs> cool, and then we don't even have to worry about one. One is true, too. One is essentially just a sort of like long, fancy way of saying what interphase is and what chromatin is um, in terms of having to be dense before it's visible, but we already know it has to be in there. Yeah. Okay. Question 42. What component can best be expected to experience the same type of heavy staining as occurs in Petri dish A to the nuclei peripheries and chromosome ends? A, the center of each chromosome pair, since most histones are located there. B, the arms of each chromosome pair, since most histones are located there. C, the center of each chromosome pair, since chromosomal centromeres are made of heterochromatin. Or D, the center of each chromosome pair, since chromosomal centromeres are made of euchromatin. Oh. Um, and so they're comparing... They, they want to know what's going to match Petri dish A. And so if I go back to Petri dish A, uh, cells in interphase are shown to have heavy staining around the periphery of their nuclei. Cells in prophase, metaphase, anaphase, and telophase were shown to have chromosomes, which were heavily stained on the end of each chromosome, and the arms of each chromosome were more lightly stained. So... If I try to compare that with what they're saying, what component can be expected to experience the same type of heavy staining? So they, they want to know heavy staining. Oh, let's go back to heavy staining. Uh, heavy staining around the periphery of the nuclei. All right. Uh, and also the um, at the end of each chromosome. So that'll make it easy because it's heavily stained in two areas. Um, and okay. so... The center of each chromosome pair, the arms of each chromosome pair, the center, center of each chromosome pair. So three of the answers have center of each chromosome pair. And so just for that reason, I'm going to throw out the arms. Just <laughs> There's just something telling me, test taking 101, throw out the one random one that, that maybe doesn't belong. So I don't know if that's a good strategy here, but I'm going to throw out the arms just because three of them are center. And then uh, answer choice A the center of each chromosome pair since most histones are located there. Uh, I don't remember if histones are located at the center of each chromosome pair, so I'm going to hold off on that. And then the other two uh, is really what's the difference between heterochromatin and euchromatin. 
and uh, the center of each chromosome pair. And I- I'm going to go with with answer choice C because we were just talking about how heterochromatin is more dense and tightly packed and mm-hmm. and and maybe takes up staining better, and so it's going to be more heavily stained. So I'm going to choose C, the center of each chromosome pair, since chromosomal centromo- cent- centromeres are made of heterochromatin. You're totally right. Woohoo! Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I actually was thinking about your heterochromatin heavy kind of mnemonic, and, and it did help here. Uh, so that, and that's all we need. And so, yeah, basically what they're asking about is staining and denser components of the chromosome are going to, uh, take up the stain and seem darker. So you were right about that. And then the arms, well, they, they kind of alluded to the fact that the arms weren't very dense, um, already in the passage and there's, there's no reason yeah for us to think that they are. So, so yeah, A, C, and D all talking about the center and then, um, what I found to, to be the key to this one was that in the passage when they're talking about the ends of the chromosomes being stained, uh, that is sort of an indirect, um, uh, not explicit reference to telomeres. Uh, and telomeres are the, the very ends found at the ends of chromosomes, and they're made of heterochromatin. And the other thing that's made of heterochromatin is centromeres. So C matches that perfectly, and that explains why there's that staining um, in the middle, in the center. Nice. Okay. Yeah. See, my mnemonic's already working for me. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> All right, 43. All right. 43. Suppose the cells in either the A culture or the B culture were taken from a Drosophila individual who possessed a gene associated with hemophilia, a sex-linked recessive blood disorder, on one and only one X chromosome. If this individual were to reproduce, what patterns of hemophilia inheritance would be manifested in offspring produced with a non-hemophiliac mate? So that's a long question stem. Uh, If we go to the answer choices, we see A, if the individual were female, male offspring would have a 50% chance of manifesting hemophilia, and female offspring would never manifest hemophilia. Then B... If the individual were female, male offspring would never manifest hemophilia, and female offspring would have a 50% chance of manifesting hemophilia. So that's sort of the inverse of A. C, if the individual were male, the sex-linked nature of the gene would cause every male offspring to manifest hemophilia. Or D, if the individual were male, the sex-linked nature of the, gen- nature of the gene would cause no male offspring to manifest hemophilia. So again, kind of inverses. Oh... <laughs> I I, I want to make my little pundit chart and um, <laughs> totally look look at at these uh, yeah the pundit square and and uh, try to do these so it's X linked chromosome so uh, I think the moral of the story is know your genetics down pat uh, with with the MCAT genetics seems <laughs> to be a a fun topic that they can do so sex linked uh, it's on the X chromosome. And if the individual were to reproduce, what pattern of hemophilia? And so the first thing that goes through my mind, I, I think as, as a pre-med, I, again, I try, I try to put my shoes in the pre-meds, uh, stressed pre-med shoes, and go, wait, they're not telling me if it's a, it's a male or a female and, and who they're meeting with, a male or a female. And, and so I can't, I can't answer the question because I don't know. Um, but if we have... Uh, um, an individual who possessed the gene, it doesn't really matter if, oh man, um, 
I'm not, I'm not going to finish that statement. I was going to say it doesn't really matter if it's a male or female or if it's affected or not. They're just saying they possess the gene. Um, yeah. It makes it kind of hard to do a Punnett square because suddenly we don't know what the parent is, right? A parent could be male, could be female. So it, it does throw, um, throw you off a little bit. But it does say on one and only one chromosome, on one and only one X chromosome, uh, so it, no, they're just saying the gene is this. Okay, never mind. So they're they're not talking about the actual, um, uh, yeah, right. Okay. Anyway, so going through the question. So if the individual were female, meaning the offspring, I'm assuming. Um, right. I think it means the no, parents. Yeah, the parents, because the offspring we know. Yeah. yeah so the right. offspring we know is not uh, does not have hemophilia. Um, and so you have to go, okay, if it's a male, uh, it ha it would have to have one good, uh, it would, it would have to have a good X gene period. Um, and if it's a female, it would have to have, uh, one good and one bad potentially. It could have one good and one bad or two good, um, mm -hmm. right. Uh, X, yes. X chromosomes. All right. Oh man, uh, <laughs> it's all coming back to me, I think. Uh, and so if the individual were Female, the individual, uh, if so, if the individual they are talking about who possesses a gene, okay. So, this the question is confusing because they, they're introducing two people who they don't tell you anything about, and then they tell you the offspring is non hemophiliac, and you don't know again, male or female, and so. The mate is not hemophiliac. There's a there's a lot of um, of individuals in this question, so it gets super. Oh, the mate is non hemophiliac. Oh man, see this is okay. Oh, I, I kept reading that as a non hemophiliac offspring. Okay, the mate is non hemophiliac, um, but again, we don't know if <laughs> if they're affected or it, like if they have the gene or not. Oh. Yeah, they could be a carrier. They could be a carrier. Okay, so this is taking way too long. Um, so if the individual, the one that we know has at least one bum gene, uh, were female, male offspring would have a 50% chance of manifesting hemophilia and female offspring would never manifest hemophilia. Um, and so we're saying if the individual were female, we would know that one gene is bad and one gene is good. And uh, on a male offspring, the X is coming from that person, right? Because they're not getting the Y yes. um, from, from the individual. Uh, so the X would have a 50% chance of manifesting hemophilia. Um, I don't know if you can say that. Oh man, because because you don't know the non-hemophiliac. Oh wait, okay. Whew. All right, this is taking way too long, and I don't know if I I didn't have enough sugar today or what. But all right, so individual or female? I, here's what I need to do. I need to write this down. So this is where the little the your little notepad comes in handy, because I think I'm trying to do it too much in my head. So if it's female. You're looking at XX, and they're going to mate with a non-hemophiliac mate who's XY. So they do not have a bum gene. All right. 
now I'm getting there. And so if they do have offspring, male offspring would have a 50% chance of manifesting hemophilia. That makes sense because 50% chance of getting the good X or 50% chance of getting the bad X. Um, okay. And then female offspring would never manifest hemophilia. Uh, can't be true because, um, again, it would be it would be 50% as far as I know. Um, all right, so let me, yes, I think 50% too. All right, so if the individual were female, male offspring would never manifest. So that's not true because we just said it would be 50%. And female offspring would have a 50% chance, which is true. All right, if the individual were male, all right, let's, let's go back to this one. Um, if the individual were male, that male would have hemophilia. Uh, the sex-linked nature of the gene would cause every male offspring to have hemophilia. And uh, that, to me, is f false because it's recessive. Um, and then D, if the individual were male, the sex-linked nature of the gene would cause no male offspring to manifest hemophilia. Oh, man. Um, if it's male and female, okay. I don't know if D can be true either because what if the, the female's a carrier? Yeah. So you can never say never on that one. So I don't, D's not right either. So I, I messed up somewhere and it's taken way too long. So I'm gonna let you explain. Yeah, totally. I mean, this one is really dense. This is the kind of question, <laughs> you know, you might, see it and, and know that it's going to take a, a lot of evaluating and you just want to put something, skip it, uh, and then move on. Uh, but let's see. So what I would do here is, um, let's see. So what I would actually do is start at the bottom with D. And the reasoning behind that is that um, we're talking about if the individual were female for A and B, and then we're talking about if the individual were male for C and D. Yeah. Uh, and then male individuals are just a lot easier to deal with. with <laughs> well, you know, not necessarily in general, but um, but since we know that the individual has hemophilia on one and only one X chromosome, males only have one X chromosome. So that makes it super simple, right? Like it has to just have one X. It's only X and it yeah. has hemophilia. Yep. So I would start with those. <clears throat> uh, and... Basically, if we start with D, just from the bottom, uh, I think you were right in how you evaluated these. Like these are too extreme. Like if the individual were male, um, so the male has hemophilia, so he has one hemophilia X. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, male offspring always inherit X from their mothers, and since the mother could be a carrier, we can't. D is wrong, and C is wrong for the same reason. Wait, say say that again about totally. inheriting from the mother. Yeah, so this, that's actually a really good trick with X-linked conditions is that male individuals, they have an X and a Y. Yes. And that, yeah, and that means that they must have gotten their Y from their father because only other males have a Y. So any male offspring you ever see in an MCAT question must have inherited their X from their mother. And oh. yeah, it's, it's cool, right? Because then a father, for example, will never pass down something like colorblindness, something that's X-linked to his son. So I was confusing myself way too much. 
Well, it's you need a lot of practice with this because it, it is very confusing. So, so D is out and C is out for the same reason where we have this one male with his uh, hemophiliac X, but we're talking about male offspring and they inherit from the mother and the mother has yeah. at least one good X. So, so some male offspring will not I, manifest hemophilia. Yeah, I, I think it's easy to jump to D just thinking that because it's like, oh, it's a non-hemophiliac mate, but you, you have to remember that they could have, they could be a carrier and so they could still have a bum X uh, chromosome. Yeah, totally. I, I think a lot of people would use that shortcut and go, oh, the Y came from the dad, therefore no males have hemophilia if it's a non-hemophiliac mate. Yeah. The, the, the fact that the non-hemophiliac mate could be a carrier is definitely kind of the twist in this question. Yeah. It's yeah. like a good M. Night Shyamalan movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Okay. Um, so C and D are out. So we started with those. And then we have A and B left. And uh, we can just do B. Um, so we're continuing to go up from the bottom. Mm -hmm. And so we have individuals female. And then male offspring would never manifest hemophilia. Well, we can get rid of that, that one right away. Because male offspring, again, will only ever inherit excellent conditions from their mothers. And this individual who's female... We already know the individual has hemophilia on one X chromosome, so those male offspring could totally inherit that X chromosome from their mother. Yeah. So B is backwards in the first part of the question. And then A, I think actually I see where you went wrong on A, because <laughs> um, A is going to be right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but it's really easy to, to mess it up. So basically we have if the individual were female, so we have a female individual with a hemophiliac chromosome on one X chromosome, uh, so we have a carrier, essentially. Okay. And then it says male offspring would have 50% chance of manifesting it. So you knew that was true. Yep. Yeah, because they the 50% chance they get one X, 50% chance they get the other. And then the hard part is the second part, and female offspring would never manifest oh, hemophilia. It's because they got a good, the good X from the non-hemophiliac mate. So we know that the, uh, and then because it's recessive, we, they, they would never have it. Exactly. And they would never manifest, not, um, not be yeah. a carrier. Yeah, I think that's where I went wrong. I I was thinking carrier, and and it was manifest. Yeah, I think that was in part where you went wrong. And I think another thing that's easy to do with this one is we are so used to thinking, oh, this non-hemophiliac mate could be a carrier, right? Because it could just have two good X chromosomes or they yeah. could be a carrier, but the non-hemophiliac mate in the case of A is a, is a male. Yep. So it has to have um, only one good X chromosome. That's the only X chromosome. And yeah, so those female offspring are always going to have at least one good X chromosome, never going to have hemophilia yep. manifested. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and that one took way too long for, for what it was, but I, I'm glad we okay. went through it to, to think through all that stuff. We got a couple good nuggets out of that one. Yeah, it's a good exercise for sure. Yeah, <laughs> my brain definitely hurts after that. So that's good exercise. No pain, no gain. <laughs> All right, there you have it. Some more fun next step test prep, full length 10. If you are debating whether or not you should take a course, if you should look at tutoring, if you're going to self-study and you need some books or full length exams, call a advisor Call Next Step today. Just go to nextsteptestprep.com. You can fill out all of the information, 
get a phone call from one of their advisors and they'll help you figure out what exactly you need to make you a successful MCAT student. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT Podcast.